Get ready to challenge conventional beliefs about what's possible in creating health, wealth, and happiness. You are listening to Playing on the Edge Radio with Megan Edge. This hit show is providing you with ways of sustaining radical and powerful changes in your life. It is time to open and expand your awareness, accelerate your well-being as Megan shares wisdom, teachings, and experience from a lifelong journey of the heart. Enact the power of radical change with ease and lift your desires to a new perspective. Now, here's Playing on the Edge Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Playing on the Edge Radio. I'm your one of your guest hosts, Megan Edge, and I get to be here with the amazing Pat, Dr. Pat, who has been my guest host or has been my host, co-host for the last four years. Wow. This is our 48th episode. Can you believe that? You know, I kind of knew something was up when I saw what you were going to talk about today and what yeah. we were going to engage in. And, you know, I can believe it. Here's why I can believe it, Megan. Um, there's a realization, and I think that people are having it. They may not be having it the way you and I are having it, but I mm. think folks are having it. And the way it starts to show up in life is by people having a really difficult time handling situations that they could have handled so easily before, or scenarios coming up that have them choose one way or another, right. or interesting imaginative opportunities in life or new directions in life, or new something in life. Mm -hmm. And I think today's show and the work that you do, and the work that you continue to do in, you know, as a master healer and a teacher, and of course, a public speaker, you know, the author of the heart's journey. So there's no absolutely aligned with what we're talking about here today, whether Mm -hmm. we're looking at the Oracle cards, or whether we're looking at our own selves. And people work with you, they come to your workshops, they sit there for certification with you, the confident healer, you know, there are so many ways you have opened up the door for people to continue to come forward, right? Mm -hmm. Mind, body and soul healing, energy healing, intuitive counseling. So, you know, we're here four years today, but we're here because there's a part of who you are and what you've said yes to in this world that's so needed to continue to take the journey to prepare us to help people in the world today. Yes, and my absolute focus has always been about empowering and demonstrating for people, empowering people and demonstrating to them their own capacity for healing their own capacity to be responsible for their well-being, for their health, and to and to recognize where they may be giving that power over to other agencies, to their physicians, for example, to pharmaceutical companies, to, to anyone who is interested in disempowering someone around their health choices. I my focus is on empowering people around their health choices because I really want people to understand just how vital and resilient they are and and what i've seen through my work pad is that when when people get tuned to that knowing everything shifts everything changes and and although in this episode we're going to be talking about the end of someone's well-being and health and what that looks like and what that process is and talking about how our culture views death and dying 
and what that experience is for us personally, whether we are the survivor or we are the person who is dying. It really is about empowering each of us to know what we're capable of and what we can what we can move through. And so this is this is on the edge of death and dying part two. We did yeah. part one two years ago at the same time yeah. when my father passed away and I went through that whole process. And now it's happened again to a dear family friend. And it really brought everything back to the forefront of how it is that we can stand in a healing place to be there for someone else as they move through this and then also to be there for ourselves. So this is going to be a very deep and also a really wonderful and celebratory episode. And, you know, I want to talk about the heart opening that happens when Mm -hmm. we experience side by side with another and, you know, why this show is also important, you know, in that there is a process that one goes through, but there is a way that each of us gets to stand up and show up. And sometimes we do it in ways that we didn't think we were capable of. See, I think this is this is why Matt James's quote to me, I don't know how many years ago, never left me. And every day I'm reminded of it, you know, where he would say to me, Pat, here you go. Whatever you think you are, you're more than that. Mm-hmm. And and you know, I've tried to prove him wrong. <sighs> time after time (laughs) after time I just want to call Matt one day and say stop saying that quote it's not true but that's not the that's not what's happening is it that's right that's right and every every event that happens in our lives is an opportunity for us to step into ourselves a little more deeply and to push our envelopes and to move slightly outside of our comfort zone and I'll give you an, an example of this when when my and for those uh, listeners who are not familiar with my father's story, um, very quickly after heart surgery, he ended up going downhill with myocarditis and a few other things that were all affecting his heart and his lungs. And he ended up on a ventilator. He had adult respiratory distress syndrome, is what the blanket term is called for this, and in an induced coma, and for about two weeks. And then we knew he wasn't getting better. In fact, he ended up with three major infections that he got in the hospital. And we had to make the fairly painful decision to pull him off of life support. But the, and, the, and the reason that I'm sharing that is because in those moments of coming face to face with something as seemingly final as death, we have a choice as to how we are going to show up for that. And, and what was really interesting for me is that when I was in the ICU with him and I was in there almost every day, actually I was there every day for those two weeks, And I was advocating for him. I was talking to his nurses. I was talking to his doctors. I was bringing in my essential oils and my aromatherapy. I was massaging him. I was touching him. And his lung specialist came in one day and she said to me, oh, oh, have you been hired by the family? Are you a medical professional? And I said, well, of a sort. And she looked at me and I said, I'm his daughter. And she said, oh, I'm so, I'm sorry. I didn't realize most family members are too afraid to touch their loved one. She said most family members that she's seen, they stand in the corner and they weep. And that's okay. But also, here's this beautiful opportunity to create a very sacred space for someone if if you're able to do so. And to really honor this process of, of watching and witnessing their 
their death. And it's not something that we're taught to do in our culture. In fact, if anything, we're taught to be afraid of death. We're taught in the medical system is taught that death is the ultimate failure. So there's a disconnect between knowing how to stand in a death vigil for someone as much as you're in pain for, for what you're losing and, and to have that be part of the healing process of this whole experience. It is one of the most unique and beautiful witnessing ceremonies one can do what you just described. It really is. And, you know, I don't, I, witnessing is one of my favorite words, you know, because time and time again, we find out how invisible people feel and it doesn't matter what situation it is. You know, there are levels of invisibility because their journey, their story, their presence hasn't been witnessed in a loving and caring way. And I wanted to talk with you about this show in particular and say, I'm so very sorry, you know, for your loss. And at the same time, I'm so honored about you bringing this conversation to the airwaves so that others can learn from this. Tell us about your loss. So, uh, my dear friend, Trish Ashby Rolls, and I'm, I'm very blessed to have known her, and I'm very blessed to be able to uh, share her with you. I met Trish when I was 17 years old, and I'm now 52, so this is a very long friendship. She was dating my father, actually, um, when I first met her. And although she and my father didn't last, she and I did. And we used to joke that Perhaps they came together so that she and I could reunite and and see one another again in the belief that there may be other lifetimes in which we connect with one another. And and so although she was old enough to be my mother, she, that was never the relationship that we had. We were very much equals. And in many, many instances, I helped her through a lot of the things that she was going through in her life. And equally, she helped me. She became, or I became her honorary daughter. That was how we described our relationship. And my daughters, for, her, for them, she was their honorary grandmother. Uh, one of six grandmothers. So they've been very fortunate to have so many grandmothers. But beyond the personal relationship that we had, which in any friendship, of course, there's the ups and the downs, but we weathered them all. Um, beyond that, Trish Ashby Rolls was an amazing advocate. She was a person who stood up and made a voice for people who didn't have a voice. She, in her 40s, started to remember, after spinal cord surgery, she started to remember experiences of horrific childhood sexual abuse uh, and cult abuse. And this, this became her, her opening up her own awakening and an understanding for herself of how it is or how it was that she had been showing up in the world in what she described as a toxic relationship with herself, but not knowing where those behaviors were coming from. And, and after her spinal cord surgery, it, it was like she had been in a cocoon, she had been a chrysalis, and she was cracking open and she, she was learning how to spread these incredible wings she had been a journalist she had been an actress she had been a model she was always somebody who stood up on the stage and when she became a journalist she then became a tv news reporter and an anchor in toronto um, ontario news anchor and and all of this led her to this place of knowing that when her story broke open for her that it was a story that she had to move through 
do the, the incredible deep and in, in he, in deep healing that was necessary from this, and then bring her story forward, which takes incredible courage and vulnerability, to bring it forward as a way for other people who had been in similar situations or who were in similar situations, see that there is a way out. There is a door that you can walk through and you can open. And so she ended up writing her story in this incredible book called Triumph, A Journey of Healing from Incest, in which she takes you through this whole experience. And it's, you know, it's not an easy experience, obviously, but it's also very complicated and complex. And especially when the abuse starts at such a young age, there's a lot to unravel with that. And I was part of that journey for her, as was my father. And even after they were no longer together, she and I still walk that path together. She then went on to, the book became a bestseller, and, and she went on to hold space for other people's stories and continued up to the very day that she died. And she died of a heart rupture, an aortic rupture, followed by a catastrophic stroke. She was writing, all, she was sending manuscripts to publishers. She was, she was constantly finding people's stories of trauma and healing from that trauma and bringing those stories forward as as a way to validate other people's experiences and to demonstrate Mm. what is possible within the human capacity for healing and within the human spirit Mm. such an incredible mentor and um, the world is a less colorful place Mm. now that she's not with us um Mm. yeah yeah. And you know, and this is what today's show is about. Yeah. It is it is this moment where we get to honor people. Mm-hmm. And for those of you listening, you know, you've heard what we've been talking all already about earlier today. It is this place where we talk about this movement, this transition, this this journey we take on death and dying. But when we come back from break we're going to talk about something that we don't really do a good job of talking about. And on the previous show, you heard Mike say that if he were doing then what he's doing now, he may have been able to save a life. What does that mean? And what does it mean to Megan when she looks around, even where she is, even in the process of the place she lives, even in the world? of transitioning and death and dying. How well are we doing advocating for those who cannot advocate for themselves? How well, how well are we doing? And what might we learn today? Small things, maybe like asking a question, what might we learn today about honoring, witnessing and advocating for? Let's take a short break, everybody. We'll be right back. Uh, This is On the Edge of Death and Dying Part 2, playing on the edge radio with Megan Edge and me, Dr. Pat. We'll be right back. Does your life often feel like an emotional tsunami where rogue waves crash down on you, leaving you feeling hopeless and wondering if it will ever end? Do you wish to awaken the dormant strength inside of you? Imagine what it would be like to turn your pain into purpose. Start today by scheduling a complimentary consultation with Martinet. Dive into your healing journey and begin to see your life in a new light. Visit martineemmons.com and make your appointment today. You're driven and it totally shows. Your career is taking off. You're killing it in the mom game. 
but did your health needs make it on the plate this week? Tune in to the Boss Up Babe radio show, where Carissa Adkins helps babes show up, boss up, and thrive. Every second and fourth Tuesday at 1230 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Become the boss babe you were meant to be. To sign up for one of Carissa's group coaching programs, visit 365dailyhustle.com. Tired of not losing the weight? You need a healthy solution for weight loss that protects your muscle mass as the fat burns away naturally. Holistique Medical Center has the healthy option for your weight loss concerns. Lose 1 to 3 pounds per day in 21 days naturally under our physician supervision. Call Holistique Medical Center 425-451-0404 or on the web drdarvish.com, D-R-D-A-R-V-I-S-H.com. We figured by the time we turned 50, we kind of had life figured out, but we were not prepared for the realities of midlife. Tune in to And That's When I Realized, the truth and comedy of midlife with me, Susan Dolce. And me, Leon Dyer, every second and fourth Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. You're not alone in these challenges, and sometimes you just gotta laugh. Find us at SusanDolce.com and LeonDyer.com. Your own innate brilliance already lives inside of you. Come discover it so you can shine brightly in this world. Join me, your host, Adrian Cobb, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern during Wild Magic on TransformationTalkRadio.com and get answers to who you are and where you belong. To learn more about me and the show, visit MyWildMagic.com. Again, that's MyWildMagic.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Welcome back to a special edition of Playing on the Edge Radio with Megan Edge, Radical Change with Ease and me, Dr. Pat. This is On the Edge of Dying, On the Edge of Death and Dying, Part 2. And this is about the experiences that Megan's going to share of what it was like to lose somebody very close to her and to really honor the process that those have asked for, those that cannot advocate for themselves. And there are many. Mm -hmm. Um, For those of you, if you want to find out more about Megan, you can go ahead and go to meganedge.ca. That's one of the things you can do. Um, Certainly on Facebook, you can go to Megan Edge, Facebook, Megan Edge Healing. Uh, And then there's also um, what we were talking about earlier when Megan, you referred to really working with your dad with oils and so forth that's also something else that you do is introduce people to essential oils and really open this whole new world for them as well and what you've learned right absolutely Uh, plant medicines and aromatherapy are the foundations and basis for all modern medicine and in the western world we tend to forget that We've created a, what I've experienced, we've created a, a huge divide between the natural world and our health and well-being. And I, and I see this all the time, and I see this from my own personal experience. And when I say that I've had 17 surgeries, that means I've actually been in hospital 17 different times for these various surgeries. I've run the gamut <laughs> of the medical system. And I will say very clearly, I, have, I, I, I value the medical system. Our medical system is incredible in so many ways. It's also a very young medical system. And so there's still a lot of learning and growing and integrating to do. And my hope and vision for the future of medicine is that we continue to build bridges between 
alternative medicines, traditional medicines, and modern medicine here in the West. You know, I was thinking about it today as I was walking through one of our grocery stores, and it's um, an Asian-owned grocery store. They bring in foods from all over the world. It's incredibly multicultural. And on the shelf, one of these shelves, there's a whole section of medicinal mushrooms, herbs, dried roots, dried leaves, dried flowers that are sold in the grocery store. If you know what these are for, and if you know how to work with these, you know that you can use them to help support your immune system. You can use them to help with inflammation. There's all, there's this whole huge ancient body of work and it's right there in, in front of us. But because it's not, because it's a holistic approach to healing and well-being, not a divisive approach, it's not as easily measurable by Western science medicine standard. And so it tends to get pushed aside. With the essential oils and the aromatherapy, um, this is what I did with my father when he was in the ICU and in the, actually just when he was in the hospital as well. And, and I did it again with, with my friend Trish. I just brought them in. Now, when I work with essential oils, I work with a very specific type of essential oil. I'm working with therapeutic medical grade, pure, pure essential oils from Young Living Essential Oils. I do not work with any other oils because the purity is what's so important. No additives, no alcohols, no extenders, any of those sorts of things. So these are medical grade essential oils that we're working with. And hospitals all over the world, including in the US, use these Young Living Oils therapeutically. But here in Canada, we're a little behind the times when it comes to this sort of a thing. And most people think of aromatherapy as perfume, if they think of it at all. So, so um, we're not allowed. We're not or allowed. air freshener. Yeah, or air, air freshener. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, we're not allowed to bring scents into our hospitals for good reasons. Lots of people have allergies to perfumes and other synthetic scents. Uh, and they don't know the therapeutic value of these pure scents. I am a bit of a rebel, and we were talking on the break about not necessarily always following the rules. So in this case, I'm not following the rules. I'm coming into the hospital, into, in my father's case, the ICU, in my dear friend's case, the palliative care unit. And the moment I walk through that door into her room, out come my essential oils, out come my plant medicines, my herbs, out come all the things I know that I can use, not to save her life necessarily at this point, but to ease her suffering, right? And that's really what it is all about for me. It's how can I ease her suffering, knowing that she uh, has a DNR in place, that's a do not resuscitate in place, has asked for no heroic measures. But because the aortic rupture and the stroke were so catastrophic and happened so quickly, and the result was that she didn't have cognitive function to the extent that she could sign an assist. We had to watch her die. They couldn't help her with that process. So that's where my rebellious spirit shows up and, and says, okay, well, if even though we know she's dying and you, according to the law, medical law, we can't assist her because she's not cognitive enough to sign a piece of paper saying that's what she would like, but she has a do not resuscitate. So we know that that's her desire. What can I do to advocate for her? Right. Isn't that right. the question right there though? Yes. 
let me let's, let's just make sure everybody really gets what you just said because this is the point where when people are in the same scenario there's there's nothing i can do there's nothing i can do and why do we believe that because we don't know what you're about to share we right. don't know what you're about to say we're at a place where yep we're honoring the process absolutely honoring the process and there's nothing else we could do that's uh, you, you know that's the reality of where people are but you're about to talk about well maybe not maybe there are things you could do right because yes. people really are at that place yes that's what you wanted there's nothing for us to do yeah the way that i approach it is this first of all there's always something you can do i refuse to believe that there is nothing that can be done to help someone when they need help there is always something that can be done in her case really and now and somebody in the medical profession can correct me if I'm wrong. And I did have some very frank conversations with the doctors as well as the nurses, who all of whom were amazing. Let me just say, I have no gripe with them whatsoever. They were they did a fabulous job with the job that they were doing. But their hands were also tied by the legal aspect of it and and what was available to them. You know, essential oils are not available to the nurses. They're not at the nurse's station. Um, lavender in little pouches is not something that's generally given out for the nurses to bring into people's palliative rooms more the shame but guess what I did <laughs> I brought in a basket full of pouches of lavender buds that I had harvested myself from my lavender and I handed them out to all the nurses as a thank you because when they would come into her room and see her holding the pouch this is my friend holding the pouch of lavender that I've given her in her hand and the whole room smells like lavender they were, they were thrilled. They were thrilled, you know, so there are lots of little things that, that one can do to help ease a person's discomfort. In the conversations that I had with the doctor, some of my questions were around, what are we exactly doing here? We are starving her and we are dehydrating her. We're not giving her any nourishment and we're not giving her any liquids except for a little sponge on her mouth so her tongue doesn't swell up so she doesn't choke on her tongue and I'm looking at the doctor and saying sorry so we're keeping her alive so she can die that doesn't make any sense to me we would put our dog down we would put our cat down I've I've held my hamster in my hand and I've been the one to do the carbon dioxide so the hamster dies so it's no longer suffering but we're not going to do that for our loved one and I think this is where in fact I know this is where a lot of family members end up standing in the corner and weeping because they don't know that there's anything that they can do. Yeah. Right? It's helpless and hopeless. It's right. the combination of feeling helpless and hopeless. And it doesn't matter that you know the end game. Right. See, we don't talk about the, the process points. Mm -hmm. We don't talk about the journey points that right. you're describing. Right. Because we think there's one option, one option only, and it's like, I can't do anything. And that feeling yeah. of helplessness about somebody you love. So Megan, one of the things that happens, and I'd love for you to talk to this, when a family or a family member or somebody goes through this and watches this for somebody they love, mm -hmm. the imprint that that has on them for life is devastating. 
it is devastating. It is absolute trauma. And it creates a PTSD response in people. Unless, unless they have tools and the wherewithal to ease their loved one's suffering so that they feel like they're making a difference for the person who is dying. And this is where it does take some courage on part of the family member to stand up to the medical rules and regulations to the very people who are instituting them because that's their job and, and kindly and with compassion for the other person like the nurse or the doctor demonstrate what is possible for helping to ease their loved one's suffering. So for example, when I walked into her palliative care room, off came my mask, immediately. Off came my mask. I am not wearing a mask in the palliative room of my dear friend so that her last vision of me is with half of my face covered. And what am I possibly going to bring into the palliative care room? She's already dying. <laughs> And I know that I'm healthy. So that was the first thing. And part of that was A, because I need to be able to breathe, quite frankly. And she needs to see my face to know and recognize me, even when her cog cognitive state was the way that it was from the stroke. She could still recognize us. So she needed to know that we were there and see all of our faces. But also because as a survivor of incest and sexual trauma, a mask is incredibly triggering. And not a lot of people are talking about this, but this is, a, this is something really real for a lot of people over these last 18 months. It is not a nice thing to see somebody with their face covered if you have been the victim or are the survivor of sexual assault or incest or any other kind of abuse where the perpetrator has been wearing a mask or has had their face covered. And I know for a fact from my dear friend that that was one of her scenarios, more than once as a matter of fact. And so... For her to be lying in the bed already feeling fairly infantile, because that's usually what happens to us psychologically when we're lying in a hospital bed, to have somebody looming over her with a face mask on, my face mask on, absolutely not. And I was just very clear with the nurses and I was very clear with the doctors. This is how it's going to be. I'm going to insist that anybody who comes in, not the doctors and nurses, they have their own protocols, but for friends and family coming in, we will not be wearing masks in here. So that was one of the very first things. The second thing that I did was I opened the window. Now, I've been in hospital many, many times. I never knew that there are some hospitals in which you can open the window. As you should be able to. Florence Nightingale demonstrated this to us over 100 years ago. We know how important fresh air is. But most people walk into a hospital room, and it's stagnant air, it's recycled air, it's stuffy, and there's no option to bring in fresh air. But this hospital here in Victoria, the new wing that was built about 15 years ago, they put these little grids at the bottom of the window that you can flip open. Most of the nurses didn't know that this was even a possibility. <laughs> the two doctors that she had, they didn't know that there were window that the window could open. Now, I know my friend, she loved the outdoors. She loved being in her garden. She loved being in the forest. The second I figured out that that was a window that could open, that window was open <laughs> and it stayed open. <laughs> I put a note on the whiteboard that said, leave the window open. <laughs> and the beautiful thing, Pat, and I saw this with my father too, when I would bring in the oils, we, he didn't have a window, unfortunately, so we couldn't open a window for him, but the doctors and nurses and family and friends walking into the room, 
breathe in and the first comment out of everyone's mouth is oh my gosh it feels so beautiful in here what are you doing what's going on why does it feel so lovely and light and loving in here well because of these little things that I was doing that I just did them now I can be very courageous and I can certainly get in someone's face if they're going to give me a hard time about this and I know that's not how everybody is but you've got to do a something, you know, when you're in this, when you, I would consider it a blessing. When you are blessed enough to be able to say goodbye to a dear loved one in this way, then do it in a way that honors your own healing process as well. So that you don't have that PTSD trauma response to watching somebody die, that you don't feel like there's nothing you can do about it because you can. You know, I also knew that, that Trish from her spinal cord surgeries and various other injuries that she was experiencing was in a lot of pain. And okay, so the doctor tells me she's not hungry. We know, we, we believe that they're not, people aren't hungry after they've gone through this kind of experience. Okay. The doctor's telling you that. The doctor's telling me this. Okay. Right. She's not hungry. All right. But that's probably because her stomach has shrunk so much at this point, but okay. She's not hungry. But what about thirst? Because she's asking for water. She's asking for it. And if I say to her, Trish, do you need some water? Yes, 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 is what she would say. And so I would go and I would, I had a little syringe. They had these funny little sponge things at the end of a plastic thing. You're supposed to try to put it in her mouth and it would just dribble all over her face. It was horrible. Mm -hmm. So I brought in a little plastic syringe and I brought in my pine needle tea and I gave her the pine needle tea and I just squirted it slowly into her mouth. Now, I mean, at this point, it's not like I'm interfering with any medical processes because there are none. It's really about how can I make her more comfortable and giving her water may prolong because it basically what it does is it infuses her whole body and all the cells in her body go, oh, okay, whew, we can live a little longer. Mm -hmm. But it really wasn't about having her live a little longer. I mean, she lived for eight days in this state, which to me is one of the most cruel things I can imagine doing to somebody. But terrific, actually, when you think about it. It really is. And now having and knowing, of course, the nurses were doing what was within their capacity to do to that's correct, give her pain medication and give her muscle relaxants and, and ease her. Uh, but you know, they didn't know about her back. So they had her lying on her back. And then they wondering why she's in pain. And I'm saying that you have to roll her to her side. You know, you this is this is what I know. And one of the doctors did say to me, thank you for advocating for your mother. Because we didn't know that it's not in her file. You know, we're just getting to know her through family and friends as they come in. So thank you for that. You know, here's the thing about it, Pat. Mm -hmm. What I see happening is that people walk through a hospital door or they walk into their doctor's office and it's like they regress in age to a, a childlike place of revering the white coat and the stethoscope and forgetting that they yeah. have autonomy. Yeah that they have a voice and yeah. that they have to advocate for themselves or those who cannot mm -hmm. advocate for themselves. Yeah. And honestly, and um, I know I've shared this on before, I don't know if Linda has done it with me, but if we'd have done that when her brother was admitted to the hospital, mm -hmm. um, you know, he'd be dead right now. If we'd have, if we'd have just listened to this, and hadn't been aware of exactly what was going on with him. And even with his family and his spouse in the room, mm -hmm. you know, vying in to the fact that they were saying, oh, he got, you know, maybe he got something in Bermuda. No, he got bit by a tick three times 
mm. which had Lyme in it. And this is a co-infection. I mean, Linda and I, who I'm not sure should have really been there. I don't know, even remember how we were there. Like, why were we even there for that? But you get to the point, Megan, where you know your soul is telling you, open your mouth. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about who you're going to offend. But you said something so vital and important. I want to talk about it when we come back, because all of this really ties into how do we follow what we know is in our hearts? Are we courageous enough to know that advocating for another is sometimes doing things that are uncomfortable, like standing in a room and disagreeing when everybody's in there, in a room, just doing it, yeah. or saying to someone, you know, she's got a back problem be a good idea to turn her on her side. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Megan about what do you do as you go through this journey with another, but what do you do to understand the vigil, to understand the ceremony, to understand how in some cultures it's a ritual, it's a passage, it's a rite. And in our culture, maybe not so much. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, do you wait for healing? Does healing come to you? Or do you grow up in a culture that says supper in silence? We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back with Megan Edge playing on the edge. We'll be right back. Have you heard about shifting the collective vibration and consciousness on the planet? Join me, Kimberly Barrett, on the Sharing Love and Light show every first and third Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern at TransformationTalkRadio.com to explore the depth of vibration and consciousness on our planet and learn how you can shine your love and light. To learn more, visit SharingLoveAndLightShow.com. Healing has a ripple effect. One person's healing affects everyone around them. This is where the power of sharing our stories can be so important. Tune in to Playing on the Edge Radio with Megan Edge each month on Transformation Talk Radio as Megan provides you with ways of sustaining radical and powerful changes in your life. Enact the power of radical change. To find out more about Megan Edge, visit her website at meganedge.ca. The truth is funny. Shift happens with monthly guest host Karen Benton. Tune in for powerful conversations about health and wellness. Karen brings unique insights rich with humor and science to her discussions with experts in medicine, movement, psychology, spirituality, and so much more. Don't miss Karen on The Truth is Funny every third Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. For more information about Karen, visit KarenBenton.com. Who taught you or your kids how to handle stress? That's right, no one. I'm combat veteran Deb Lewis, and I'm on a mission to change that. My new children's book, Why is Pono Not Pono Today, is set in Hawaii. Lovable characters, Pono the Bull and his friend Kuleana, show us how a stressful situation ends happily. Look closer to reveal powerful ways to handle all types of stress. Start loving your stress-filled life today. Go to mentallytoughwomen.com. Sometimes being human has its challenges. 
Our physical health falters, our spirits sag, our dreams don't immediately come to fruition. Welcome to the power of Maximum Medicine Radio. Join me, Doc Martin, in conversations that will blow your mind about healing. In our hit show, Doc Martin addresses the scientific with bridging to the mystical approaches to give you a new narrative about Maximum Medicine. In this live call-in show, we will journey into the extraordinary genius of the human body and talk about other beliefs that impact being your multidimensional self. We seek the seen and the unseen and explore the earthbound and the otherworldly, all with the purpose of calling forth the Maximum You. To learn more about Doc Martin and Maximum Medicine, visit www.SharonMartinMD.com. Hey everybody, welcome back. Thank you all for joining us today. Um, I am so honored and thrilled, Megan, for sure, um, that um, this is a journey and this is a story that is so powerful, not easy to tell, and has to be told because you know it's almost as if we're going to go through what we've gone through and it's still going through just saying kind of brush up just brush aside the idea of what people have gone through and not talking about is there another way is there a way um to just very simply describe what options people may have that they hadn't thought about. And isn't that what you're doing? Um, Megan, you know, let's just take a moment and make sure people know how they can find out more about you. And then, you know, let's continue with this because let's continue with the idea of healing and let's continue with the idea of what compassion means and then honoring, you know, this thing that we don't even realize we have the power to do. Uh, what's the best place for people to find out what you're doing and what you're, you're, you're offering in terms of class and stuff right now? Well, they can certainly go to my website, which is um, meganedge.ca. I'm, I'm working on some classes right now. I haven't got Great. anything on the go at the moment, but I am working on a herbal health class, an online herbal health class, and that will be working with the herbs and plant medicines as well as the aromatherapy and essential oils of herbs. And then I'm working on another one that is for the conifers. So this is tree medicine and working with the different parts of the trees, as well as the resins and the essential oils of the trees. And that's learning how to identify these different plants, learning how to work with them really easily on a daily basis and why you would want to work with them. So these are things that are coming down the pipe for people to get excited about. Uh, and you can also find me on YouTube. We have a beautiful YouTube channel, Megan Edge Healing on YouTube. We've got over 400 videos. Our, all of our radio shows, all of our 47 radio shows are there, as well as many classes, workshops, resources, ways to learn about how to help yourself, learn about all sorts of amazing things. So that's another really beautiful way to see the work that I do. And then, of course, you can work with me personally. We can work online. We can work in person. There's lots of ways that we can we can do that work together. Hmm. Uh, Megan, first of all, again, let me thank you for everything you're doing. And let me thank you for taking this conversation forward. Um, 
I want to get to the to the place where you know you and I were talking during the break, and one of the things that we were talking about is the fact that this is a journey you took with someone that was awake enough to ask you for water or awake enough to understand conversations. You were there, right. and you know at what point did things change for you? And 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 there's always the question that comes up, right? Mm-hmm. The question is do I begin to heal? What does that even look like? You know, can I begin the healing process in the middle of honoring? How did that all work for you? What did you literally see happen within those rooms and within yourself? Mm. So there's two parts to this. First is my own personal healing and then the healing that I was able to offer to, to my friend. The moment that I heard that this had happened to her, I, I went into healing mode. And I do this for anybody. Any, any friend comes up to me, any family member, a stranger on the street, complaining about an ache, a pain, a, a whatever it is, my brain immediately goes to, huh, I could help with that. <laughs> let, me, let me think about how I can help with that. I've got a technique. You know, I've got a massage. I've got an, an essential oil blend. I've got a plant medicine. I've got food that I know would help you with this. So I, I immediately go to that place because for me, that's my own healing piece. I never have enjoyed the feeling of helplessness around someone else's well-being. And I have a vast, I have so much knowledge, so many things that I've learned and researched and taught over the years about how to help a person, both mentally, spiritually, you know, physically. So that sense of action is for me the starting point for healing, always. What action can I take? And at the same time, allowing whatever emotion to surface to surface, you know, so I, I mean, as you saw earlier in the show, I don't mind crying in front of someone. If there's a, if it comes to the surface, it comes to the surface. So I can stop, I can be speaking to a doctor or a nurse and I can be talking about, here's the practical thing that needs to be done, or here's the question I have for you about what's happening here. And I can also be crying as a honoring of my own feelings and for the loss that I'm seeing right in front of me. You know, I believe that if we, if we wait to do the healing piece, because we feel like we have to be strong and present in the moment, then the healing is going to be, uh, and I don't, I don't like to use the word harder, but it's a harder thing to get to if we push it aside rather than let it be part of that process. You know, so there were times when I was sitting with her, holding her hand or massaging her feet or whatever I was doing. And I was crying and I was saying to her, I'm really going to miss you. You know, why, where are you going? Why are you doing this? Um, There were times when I would go into the what ifs, you know, what if my family had been able to get in touch with me the, the night this happened instead of three days later, you know, what if I could have got there sooner? What if I could have started advocating her for, for her the moment that this happened because she was asking for me and they didn't know how to get a hold of me. That's a whole other part of the story. And I can't sit in regret. I don't add, I don't advocate anyone sit in regret because that's not healthy, but I can ask what if, and the what if can lead to how would I do it differently next time? Right. Right. Part of the right. healing is the learning is right. learning to be in the healing is learning the system is learning the illness is learning what's going on. I've never sat with someone 
who has had a massive catastrophic stroke from a blood clot that was released from an aortic rupture before? Who has, right? right. <laughs> like, it's no, not like it, that's in the textbooks for life. Yeah. And certainly and, not for very long. I mean, even if you have been through that experience, I don't know if people heard that this was eight days. Yeah. Eight days. That, that speaks to, in one side, her vitality her resilience, her being a survivor. I mean, this is a woman who has survived so many things in her life and and took life as an adventure and said, I want to know all of it. I want to feel all of it. And we, we see this with people who are, who are dying. They hang on, they hang in there until certain people can come in so they can have that connection. And I watched so many friends show up in Trisha's room over those the five days that I was with her of the eight days come in and and tell stories about her to us and write notes to her on the whiteboard we had this whole whiteboard set up it's supposed to be for the doctors to write notes on never mind that we just covered it with love notes for Trish (laughs) and the doctors loved it (laughs) you know here's a quick aside for anybody who's listening to this if you want your loved one to get extra special care from the doctors and nurses you make sure that their room is as inviting as absolutely possible because the nurses will stay longer. Yeah. They'll have better conversations with you. Yeah. The doctors will stay longer. Yeah. The doctor came and sat with me on the sofa mm. and we spent about a half an hour talking about death, talking about death vigils, talking about death in different cultures. He was sharing with me what he's learned about death as a doctor in the in his training. Mm. And really, it's what I've always suspected. Death is the ultimate failure. And yet here he was sitting next to me saying, I love how you're honoring this process. I love the sacredness of this. I love that you're anointing her with oils on her forehead and that you're putting herbs in her hands and under her pillows and that you're playing music for her and you're honoring. She was a, she was an ordained Buddhist nun in her sixties. She decided Mm. to learn, to train, to be an ordained Buddhist nun, went to Japan, did the monastery, shaved her head, the whole thing. This is the, the amazingness of this woman and he got to know her by taking that time but would he have done that necessarily to the extent that he did if the room itself wasn't as welcoming if he wasn't seeing the love and attention and the honoring that was happening for her and it's not to say that he wouldn't do that for somebody else but would he be as drawn in if not for all the things that we were doing we were blowing bubbles in her room pat my younger yeah. daughter, every day we were there, she blew these sticky bubbles and the whole room would be yeah. filled with bubbles and the nurses would walk in. What? This is so magical. This is so mystical. You know, that's what a death vigil is. A death vigil is sitting with someone as they are dying, going through this process, whatever that process is and however it peaceful or not peaceful it is. And quite frankly, the human spirit wants to stay for most of the time. <laughs> At least the human body does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, she did. She rallied. That was a really amazing and also painful day because she was, she knew who we were. She was calling us by name. She was telling us she loved us. She was telling us how beautiful she were, or we were. She was hugging us. She was laughing at our jokes. She was singing James Taylor with us. Yeah. We had this day of, oh my gosh, it's almost like she's back. Yeah. And then the next day she was mostly not there. Yeah. And, and we went through that with our friend, Lucy. Yeah. And you're right about it. It's open-hearted and it's hard at the same time. Yeah. 
Isn't and it? what a blessing and what an honor to be able to mm-hmm. do that. I don't know if you have this down in the States or in Seattle. I'm sure you have it in some places in the States. But up here in Canada, there's a profession called the death doula. And a death doula is someone who is trained to understand mm-hmm. the process of death and dying and to be able to offer support just like a birth doula does for the mm-hmm. entry of life, for, for the end of life. And it's something that I wish more people were aware of and had the wherewithal to have that kind of support. Because a death doula doesn't only hold the hand of the person who's dying. Yes. They educate the family about the process and advocate on behalf of the family to make sure that the loved one mm-hmm. is receiving the comfort and care that they require. And I think gives empowerment to the family as well to find their own voice. And for me, ultimately, the, the last and uh, greatest gift that I could give to her was to be her voice when she had now lost it after all the voices that she had given to other people who didn't have a voice and um two weeks later and and this is where I want to just leave people with this beautiful experience was that two weeks after her death she came to me in a dream as our loved ones often do and she was looking her age she was 78 when she died she was looking her, her, her beautiful age, and I, I have shared some photos. I'm hoping we'll be able to get them up in the replay to see this beautiful woman. Um, she was looking strong and she was looking healthy. And she said to me, I'm sorry it's taken me so long to get back to you, but it's taken me a while to find my voice and my words again. And she was a writer, she was an actress, she mm. was a public speaker, she was a journalist. And in those eight days, she lost her voice and she lost her words. So here she was in this uh-huh. room telling me that it's just taken her a little while. She would have come sooner, but it's taken her a while to find her words and her voice again and to let me know that she misses us, but she's okay. Mm. And could I please tell my girls that until she can get to them her, herself? Mm. You know, it comes full circle. It comes full circle from that moment of the shock that we experience when we realize, oh my gosh, somebody's in the hospital, they've had a heart attack, they've been in a car accident, fallen down the stairs, whatever it is. It's a shock to our system. And then it's the whole process of of how we work with that information, what we do with it, how we show up for ourselves, how we show up for other people in that. And then should it be that the person dies, then it's that process of, okay, wow, where, where do I go from here? You've been listening to Playing on the Edge Radio with Megan Edge. Tune in each month on Transformation Talk Radio and the Dr. Pat Show Network, providing you with ways of sustaining radical and powerful changes in your life. If you've missed any part of this episode or want to find out more about Megan Edge, visit her website at meganedge.ca.